Welcome to episode 13 of the Invited Along podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. After an incredible stay on Tioman Island where we learned to scuba dive, it's time to put away the fins. This week we're staying on dry land and exploring the west coast of Malaysia. Going south to north, we stopped in Malacca, Kuala Lumpur, Ipoh and Penang, and each of these places is really worth chatting about. As promised last week, let's take a minute to give you some basic facts about this new country. Malaysia is directly south of Thailand and the rest of continental Southeast Asia. The country is actually split between two regions known as the Peninsular Malaysia, which is on the continent itself and has a land border with Thailand, versus East Malaysia, which roughly corresponds to the top third of the island of Borneo. For this trip, we stayed in Peninsular Malaysia, which represents only 40% of the total area of the country, but contains 80% of the population, and this includes the capital and megacity of Kuala Lumpur. Just like Singapore, Malaysia has a proud history of multiculturalism. However, there's one big difference in that Malaysia has Islam as its state religion, and citizens of Malay descent are generally given priority in society. If you remember from our Singapore episode, this idea of Malay first versus equality for all was what led to the schism between these two countries. Otherwise, the language is Malay, which is also spoken in Indonesia and written with the Latin alphabet. They drive on the left, and as a reminder, their currency is the Malaysian ringgit, with one US dollar equals 4.5 ringgit at the time of this recording. Now let's talk take off. This week again, no plane for us as we used ferries, buses and trains for all our travels once back on the Malaysian mainland. We took a ferry from Tioman Island to the town of Mersing, from there a bus back to Johor which is the big city just across the border from Singapore and is a big hub for different bus companies, and finally another bus to Malacca. As much as possible, throughout this trip we tried to book buses with the KKKL company which has very comfortable seats and very good refund policies, even though the tickets usually cost one or two dollars extra. It generally is worth the extra money. In Malacca, we stayed at Hotel Hong, a very conveniently located hotel in the center of town for $20 a night. Two days later, we took a two-hour bus for $7 and we arrived in Kuala Lumpur, or as everyone else calls it, KL. Here we stayed at the incredible Alila Bangsar Hotel through the power of points again. So Alila is a Hyatt brand and I've been wanting to try out this brand for a long time. And the redemptions in Malaysia were incredible. So we transferred 8,500 points for two nights to stay there. We had an incredible suite with a gorgeous view and access to a rooftop pool also with an amazing view overlooking the city of KL. And this hotel was incredibly well located right next to the Bansar station. You can actually see the hotel from the station. 
Yeah, it was an incredible stay, really. And after that, we had to make our way to Ipoh by train, uh, which takes about three hours. It's to the north of KL. And here we spend one night at the Regalage Hotel, again for free, because actually this was our 10th booking on the Hotels.com website, and it is a promotion that they have at the moment. Finally, we took the bus to Penang, two hours north of Ipoh, where we stayed at another gorgeous hotel and again for free, the Prestige Hotel, which we reserved with 45,000 IHG points. IHG has this neat thing where if you book three nights with rewards points, you get a fourth one for free, and that's what we did. It was super centrally located and with a great rooftop pool. But enough with the logistics, let's dive into in-flight entertainment where we talk about our adventures. And firstly, let's start with Malacca. Malacca has a very interesting history because it was a Malay sultanate. Then it became allies with the Ming dynasty in the 15th century. It was then conquered by the Portuguese in the 16th century. Then the Dutch a century later before getting sold to the British in the 19th century. So that's a lot to keep track of. Following World War II and Japanese occupation, Malaysia became independent from the British Empire. There are many traces left of these various influences. For example, the Stadthouse in downtown Malacca is part of the Dutch Square. And then Afermosa and the Church of St. Paul show their other colonial past. Yeah, another aspect of sort of multiculturalism you have in Malacca is... Uh, has to do with what we call the Peranakan, also known as the Baba Nyonya culture. So the Peranakan are the Chinese traders that moved to Malaysia and places in now what is now Singapore and areas of Indonesia, moved there between 1300 and 1600 roughly, and married local women, which resulted in a unique blend of culture and beliefs. And to learn a bit more about that, we visited the Baba Nyonya house, which is in central Malacca. Very opulent, very beautiful, really shows the sort of things, the sort of beliefs, the sort of cultures, the sort of traditions that those families brought back uh, from China and modified to be within Malaysia and sort of create its own thing. It's also very interesting to see that these Peranakan cultures stayed very strong despite centuries of Western occupation. It was great also to be reading the book Ghost Bride at the same time because Ghost Bride takes place actually in Malacca in this colonial past, but it's kind of this like historical fantasy horror story. It's fantastic. There were a lot of abandoned Dutch style houses around town, and it just had a lot of ambience due to these kind of abandoned homes. And there is a very famous street market there on the weekends called the Jonker Street Market. It was very lively. And the food was okay. There was a lot of like meat on skewer type things, if that's your vibe. And also a fantastic, although very unexpected, knife museum. Oh yeah, of course, the knife museum. I had a great time there. And after the knife museum, essentially, we made our way to Kuala Lumpur, to KL again. Uh, so we left Malacca behind, we arrived at KL, which is, of course, the capital city of Malaysia. It is a massive, sprawling metropolis. Uh, thankfully, we had this beautiful hotel, again, the Alila Bangsa, which was really an oasis for us to stay there. And the first thing we noticed about KL, for better or for worse, is that it had a very confusing public transportation network. Essentially, all the trams and metros and whatnot around KL, they work well, they're on time, that's not the issue. 
but they all belong to different private companies. And because of that, it's very confusing to actually understand which ones you're supposed to take because they have a lot of different names. So it made it for quite a confusing moment and it took us maybe about a day to really wrap our head around it. Right after we dropped off our bags at the hotel on our first afternoon in KL, we headed straight to downtown to take a batik class using chanting, which is a small copper tool that drips hot wax onto fabric. And it was so much fun. Highly recommend. And it was right under the shadows of the Petronas Towers. We also hit up the Islamic Arts Museum, which had an amazing calligraphy collection, as well as old Qurans, and an interesting display about Islamic architecture. And the building itself, of course, was stunning. We also visited the National Mosque, although it did feel a little bit like the airport, which makes sense because it was built in the 70s. And then we hit up Bukhet Bengtang Street, which is like the Magnificent Mile in Chicago, if anyone is from Chicago, but on steroids. It was very busy, tons of shops, and of course, lots of food options. Yeah, and speaking of Bukhet Bengtang Street and the other streets around, another thing that was a bit confusing by Kale was the general infrastructure of how you're supposed to evolve through the city as a pedestrian. Essentially, it kind of feels like Kuala Lumpur knows that a proper international cosmopolitan city is supposed to have bike lanes, it's supposed to have pedestrian crossings and whatnot. So it has put these ones, but nowhere where you would expect them to be. So very often you have pedestrian crossings that just kind of stop, or bike lanes that just merge with crossings and then disappear somewhere in the horizon. So again, I don't mean to bash the city, we had a really good time, but this was also a bit confusing. Another place we stopped at is the Central Market, uh, which is very recognizable. It has this bright blue outside paint. Uh, it's very, very recognizable. And you can find all sorts of trinkets over there. And it's really nice for people watching. Uh, we had a good time there. And I wanted to also mention the food. Now, there is one stop that people talk about. That's Jalan Alor, so Alor Street. Personally, we found it a bit disappointing because it has a bunch of restaurants and a bunch of people, but most restaurants actually all sell the same stuff. They have this huge menu with 300 items, and I'm sure some restaurants are better at one versus another, but it's really hard to tell what's their specialty. However, a place we really enjoyed was Davis Corner, which is in Bangsar, like where the hotel was, and that was really a highlight. Delicious South Indian food served on a banana leaf, which is a traditional way. Excellent meats. Uh, you had this pumpkin puree that also had an amazing taste. Shout out to Taryn for the recommendation. And another place we also went to is Haidi Lao. Haidi Lao is a hot pot place that's well known uh, in Asia. And a, when we first got there on a Saturday, it was a three hour wait. So we took a booking for the following day instead. And even with the waiting on the day off, it was totally worth the wait. Uh, the food was amazing. The portions were very, very generous. And we even got a show of one of the chefs kind of making the noodles in front of us. And this was an amazing time for us. It definitely needed more time for us to see everything there is to do in KL. Unfortunately, we only had a couple of days. So we didn't get a chance to go to Batu Caves or KLCC, all these places, we mostly focused on the food. After KL, we wanted to make a quick pick stop before heading to Penang. 
So we took the train up a few hours north of KL to a city called Ipoh. It's actually one of the biggest cities in all of Malaysia, and it is known for its caves, <laughs> which we did not go, and nearby plantations of tea, which we also did not go. But it was a really nice city to wander around. There were amazing murals, and we actually saw a mural artist at work, which was great. It also had very tasty food. We went to a restaurant called Lao Wang, and they had incredible chicken rice with bean sprouts. And Quentin even tried and liked chicken feet. Let it be known, it is possible for Quentin to like chicken feet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the way they cook it there. It just it just really worked for me. I really liked it. I have to say. Another area of Ipoh that's also very nice to see is what's known as Concubine Lane, and in general the old town that's around it. It's known for having a lot of beautiful cafes, beautiful little restaurants and shops. We had a great time just wandering around. The cafes are known for something called the Ipoh White Coffee, which is very particular taste, uh, kind of caramelly, a bit sweet, but still a bit bitter at the same time. I don't know, it's hard to describe, but it's worth trying at least once. I would say all in all, we were very pleasantly surprised by the town uh, because again, that was just supposed to be a bit of a pit stop and we just had a great time just walking around. Oh, and before I forget, for any fans of tofu products, Ipo is really, really famous for their tofu hua or this like super silken tofu custard thing. And it's very nostalgic for me because I had this growing up in China. But in Ipo, you can also have a slightly different version and it's just as delicious yeah i also really like this one i have to say they also had it as a liquid version which was also amazing right so after ipoh we land on our last stop which is penang so penang is another of those dutch and then british and now malaysian city just like malacca but this one is located on an island that's actually just off the coast of the mainland of malaysia so you take the ferry but it only takes like 10 minutes to get there you can still see a lot of British influence in architecture, especially once we close to the ferry terminal and close to the hotel where we were staying. Uh, it's very recognizable with those big, bright white buildings. Very close near the ferry terminal is our hotel, the Prestige Hotel. And indeed, it did look very prestigious and stately with its British-influenced architecture and exteriors. It was a very nice hotel, and we just took it slowly. I think Quentin will get into that more, so you know why we had to take it slow. So Penang is an island, and it's actually bigger than it looks on a map. In order to get across the island, you can take the public bus, which is cheap and with many stops. And one of these stops that's a little bit further away from Georgetown, which is where we were staying, is to go see the Tropical Spice Garden. So this is an attraction that I had read about a few weeks back, and I was really curious to see these plants that are grown in this region that is really what drove trade and interest for a lot of the colonial period. So it was really nice to go see the Tropical Spice Garden and read up about all of these tropical plants. Another stop that we really didn't want to miss is the Kek Lok Si Temple. It is the biggest temple in Penang, and when you see it, it is absolutely majestic. It's also a bit away from the center of town, so again, you can take the bus to go there. The bus is very reliable and quite cheap. And once you see the temple at a distance, it is absolutely grand. 
in particular, it is known for this massive statue of Guanyin. Again, every time we go to temple, it seems to be about Guanyin. Uh, but the statue is absolutely massive and sort of kept under a beautiful gazebo, belvedere uh, construction around it. It is really striking. I would say it is more striking from afar. Once you are inside a temple, you don't necessarily get the same sense of scale. It's still very beautiful, but you don't get the same majesty, I would say. The only tiny thing that we thought was a bit odd is that it was very commercialized. There are actually a lot of shops, a lot of people selling trinkets and little souvenirs inside on the temple grounds, which we thought was a bit odd and kind of you know, draws your attention a bit away from what should be a very sort of serene space. Instead, it's a lot of trying to dodge people, trying to sell, to sell you stuff. To be fair, it also had some really interesting actual worship going on at the temple. This is the first time that I saw such grand displays of ancestral worship where people paid, you know, you can, it's commercial, so people could pay to have like full-fledged meals served next to their family member's name plaque, which I had never seen before. That's a very good point. And there were a lot of these plaques. They were all over the walls. They were covering so much surface. It was very impressive. And another stop we really could not do without, right next to Kekloxi Temple, is the Penang Hill. As we mentioned, it's an island and it has a bit of a hill in the middle. And it's known for having a lot of different activities. And you can reach it with a funicular. So one of those trains that's also kind of like an escalator. Once we got here, one thing we really wanted to do was check out Habitat which is known as being a space where you can actually get very close to the canopy of the trees. And indeed, what Habitat has done is that they have built massive bridges that genuinely span across the canopy of the trees. So as you are walking in those bridges, you are at the very top of the trees and you can see langur, you can see birds, you can see so much interesting flora and fauna. It was an absolutely gorgeous view, of course, on the whole of Penang in different directions. You could see the ocean. It was absolutely mesmerizing. And for me, uh, that also required to fight my fear of heights, which I've already mentioned in this podcast. Uh, it took me a while, but I really had a good time after a while on those bridges, just really appreciating the view, even though my legs were shaking a bit. But I would highly recommend uh, going to Habitat if you go to Penang Hill the other activities are also interesting, but maybe not as striking, I would say. Some other uniquely Penang things that we did included visiting the very famous Penang clan jetties. So these clans are Chinese clans, and they are families that immigrated from China over millennium. And these families all share the same last name. So each jetty, or each like dock, like floating village of people all basically come from the same family. So you have the Chu Jetty, that was the, probably the most famous of all jetties, or the Lim Jetty, etc. And entire families are still living and working on these floating docks. And it's really cool and you can visit them and some are very commercialized and some are not. I really liked Lim Jetty in particular because it was not a very commercialized jetty. And you can even visit the ancestral shrine on these jetties. Of course, Penang is the mecca of street food. So we had so many amazing foods, basically every meal in Penang. 
and that included the street markets and also food courts like Air Itam and the Jetty Food Court. I also want to give a shout out to Danny from Brazil, who we met at the Kekloxi Temple and hung out with us and tried out some food with us on the last day. Yeah, thank you for hanging out with us, Danny. And but of course, this was all nice and good, but we also need to mention the juicy bits too. It's time for Turbulence, where we talk about the stuff gone wrong. Overall, for me, it was a pretty smooth trip. Some things that maybe I would not super consider turbulence, but they were inconvenient, <laughs> I would say, was probably like the street sidewalk design in KL. It's very confusing because the sidewalk just like ends randomly and they don't connect. So it's very hard to cross streets. And I double checked with our friend Taryn, who lived in KL for three months. And she said, yeah, once she was, you know, Google mapping to go to somewhere, it says takes 30 minutes by walk. And the last five minutes, she just could not cross a huge intersection. And she had to actually Uber to her final destination. So that was kind of a weird urban planning quirk in KL that we saw. And another thing, just briefly mentioned, for the Tropical Spice Garden, there is an option to book a tour with a guide. And we didn't know about that option, so we did the self-guided version of just walking around and reading the plaques. But supposedly, the walking tour with a guide is very worthwhile. And you have to book it a couple of days in advance because the, the guide is not just going to be there on a day off. Right, at least not since the pandemic. Yeah, otherwise I would agree with Juan in terms of turbulence for the sidewalk system in KL. It's just a bit, a bit messy, a bit frustrating. But for me, my main turbulence was that I stupidly hurt my foot when I was scuba diving. I got a blister on my right foot from rubbing against the fin on the inside. And the blister got infected. I'm sorry about this. Uh, I hope I didn't put the picture in your head. But essentially it was just not good. It was quite painful. I couldn't put too much weight on it. So all of the above that we described all this past week and some uh, that we spent there, that was done with a fair amount of hobbling on my part. And there's quite a few times where I had to just stop on a public bench or at a cafe or something because I just could not walk for very long distances. Hey, but at least we learned that the pharmacies are fantastic in Malaysia and the pharmacists are all very helpful. Oh, yes. We stopped at the first pharmacy in Ipoh. The pharmacist there already gave us some good advice. Then we went to another one in Penang and she, the pharmacist essentially gave me like a complete course of what I was supposed to do. And within two or three days, uh, the situation on my foot had already improved so much better than uh, the previous week. It was very amazing. Okay, but what got us flying high this week? Let's chat about our favorite parts. All right, for me, my favorite part was chilling at the Prestige in Penang. So for context, when we got to Penang and we landed at the Prestige Hotel, it was my birthday. I was turning 32. I am now 32 years old. I'm okay with this. Uh, but staying at the Prestige, my only, my only vow, my only wish for my birthday was simply to do nothing, to have one day of just not doing anything. No sightseeing, no trying to plan itineraries, no buying tickets, no nothing. Just chilling at a hotel room and it was a very comfy one and we had a great time. We were actually very tired and that really emphasized how tired we were. But 
all in all it was much needed. And otherwise I would say I was just pleasantly surprised at Ipoh. Again it's a city that we had put a bit as a pit stop on the way, we were not expecting necessarily to be blown away, and it doesn't even have like a massive building that you really have to see or an incredible thing that you cannot miss. It's just a nice city to walk around and chill. Uh, and I really like that. As for me, my flying high is definitely exploring the Chinese diaspora culture in Malaysia and continuing to explore that thread all throughout Western Malaysia. And of course, through our favorite love language for all Chinese people, which is food. The amazing street food in Penang really blew my mind. And let me just quickly read to you this list of everything that we tried in Penang. Of course, if you want to know more, you'll have to go and actually try them out yourself. But we've got clay pot rice, prawn mee, also known as hokkien mee, asam laksa, chow chong fen, which is veggie rojak. Uh, I cannot really explain that one. You're just going to have to Google it. Lorbak, which Quentin became absolutely obsessed with, and this is Chinese five spice pork wrapped in bean curd and then deep fried. Barbecue wonton mee, nutmeg juice, umbraya juice, which is like this special plum thing that grows in the region. Chakritel, appam, which is these delicious wafer crepe things. Chalkatkak, which is fried rice cake. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering these words, they are not Mandarin. Beef satay, Penang famous samosa, popia, kachan. I love ice kachan and chindal. I probably had one every single day. And curry mee. And if you're wondering how do they eat so much in just a few short days, well, you know, <laughs> if there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's always a will in that case. And with that, it's time to leave Malaysia. We'll miss it dearly, but we're very excited for our next stop, Sydney, Australia. But in the meantime, how about you follow us on Instagram at invitealongpodcast. And as always, you can also reach us by email at invitealong at gmail.com. So long for now. Bye-bye.